And you can be seated this morning. Man, it's great to, to have you with us here at Grace. And just want to take uh, a moment. <clears throat> we uh, have a full house today, and there's some people sitting in the overflow room, some of which are my family, my brother Nathan and his family, Francis, or his, his wife, Francis, and his family. They uh, are here from Bolivia. They've been in Bolivia for the last four years. You saw them last Sunday. Um, and if you would, continue to pray for them. And uh, we actually have a camera that, you know, shows over in the overflow room. So I wanted to say, what's up, Nate? You the man. All right. What's up, Francis? Ross family. Maybe you guys could yell or something so we can hear you. Hey. Nice. That's kind of fun. Um, <clears throat> we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. And uh, we're going to be... Really focusing in on verses nine and ten, but we're going to read, you know, verses nine, uh, verses one through eleven, uh, to just make sure we get the full context. But we're talking about the topic of spiritual gifts, and we're going to be in this topic for a couple weeks. And last week I kicked it off by talking about the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge. You know, spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities that God gives you as a Christian to do ministry. That's what a spiritual gift is. And as I mentioned last week, the the Holy Spirit is going to give us gifts to do ministry like Jesus. That's the whole purpose of gifts from the Spirit, is to do ministry like Jesus. So everything has to be brought back to Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He entered into human history and He lived on earth as a human being. And throughout his life, he was empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, to do ministry. Jesus taught with supernatural power. When Jesus was only 12 years old, he amazed the scholars of his day. He amazed them with his teaching at the age of 12. Jesus taught, he did miracles, he healed people, he encouraged, he served, he organized. And then he went to the cross. And there He died for our sin, for your sin, for my sin, because He loved us so much. He was the only one who could pay the penalty for our sin because He was perfect, completely sinless. And that's, that's why we love Jesus so much, because He has done so much for us. Jesus died on that cross, but He didn't stay dead. Three days later, He rose again, the greatest miracle in all of human history, death couldn't hold Him down. Death couldn't hold Jesus down. And He arose and He conquered death. And then He told His followers to continue His ministry. He said, you're going to do ministry like I've done when the Holy Spirit comes. And just like Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, we too are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saves us, seals us, fills us, empowers us, and we are gifted by the Spirit to do ministry like Jesus. Some of you are gifted to teach. Some of you are gifted to lead, to encourage. Some of you are gifted to organize or to administrate. Some of you are gifted with wisdom so that we can continue the ministry of Jesus here on earth. That's that's what it means to be a Christian. Following 
the example of Jesus. Being filled with the same Spirit, participating in the same mission of loving and serving people by using the gifts you have. And the whole purpose is for the building up of your church and the benefit of your city. That's what it's all about. That's, That's why God gifts us. So that we can serve people, so that we can serve our city, and so that Christ will be glorified. So, as Christians, there is no such thing as full-time ministry. Because we're all full-time ministers. If you have the Spirit in you, you're supposed to be serving Him 24-7. If you're a good mom, that's part of your ministry. Loving your children. If you swing a hammer for a living, that's part of your ministry, right? Being a good employee, working hard so that Christ is glorified. Whatever we're doing is an opportunity to honor and serve the Lord. It's an opportunity to honor and serve the Lord and benefit others. It's doing everything in a way that Jesus is honored and people are served. So today... What we're going to do is we're going to look at the gifts of faith. We're going to look at the gift of healing. We're going to look at the gift of miracles. And we're going to look at the gift of discernment. Four gifts that we're going to cover today. Hope you packed a lunch. All right? It's going to be a while. These gifts, by the way, can be commonly misunderstood. And first off, I just want to just start by letting you know that we reject two extreme positions. Okay, there's usually two extreme positions. One position says that God can no longer do these things. And we reject that. One position says God can no longer do these things. These gifts no longer exist. Some say God used to do that, but He doesn't do it anymore. God used to heal, but He doesn't heal anymore. God used to perform miracles, but He doesn't perform miracles anymore. And we say, no. Like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God still heals and God still performs miracles. You see, one of the great things about being God is you get to do what you want. Okay? That's one of the great things about being God. Psalm 115 verse 3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. He does what He wants. So God still heals. God still performs miracles. He does what He wants. Now the other extreme position that we reject says that God must do something. We reject that. He must heal you. He must perform a miracle. No. He doesn't have to heal you. He doesn't have to perform a miracle. Again, God does what He pleases. He's God and He does what's best as He determines. So as we get into these gifts today, I just wanted to start out by letting you know that we reject those extreme positions that say God can't do it anymore or God must do it. Like a genie in a bottle. Like he has to obey my commands. That's not true. And that being said, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-11. through 11, 
And we're going to focus in on verses 9 through 11, but once again, I think it's going to be good for us to read all these verses just to make sure we have the proper context. Verse 1 says, this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth that was greatly abusing the gifts that God had given them. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. Okay, remember the church in Corinth, they were abusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and Paul is doing his best to clean up the mess. You know that when you were pagans, non-Christians, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led. They were led astray by money, just like we're led astray by money. They were led astray by sex, power. You know, those gods, they don't love you. Those gods don't listen to you. And those gods, they can't help you. Those gods can't save you. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. So, to be a Christian, by definition, means that you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. He dwells in you, and He gives you a heart to love Jesus. He teaches you about Jesus, and He helps you to walk in obedience to Jesus. You know you have the Holy Spirit when you love Jesus. Paul goes on to tell us the Trinity, the complete Godhead, is the one who gives us the gifts. Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, the purpose of the gifts is to glorify Jesus and to serve people. That's the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are for the edification of the church, to build us up, to make us stronger. They are, they are to be used to build up the church. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. We talked about wisdom and knowledge last week. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. So we're going to look at those three today. To another prophecy. Okay, here's what I'm going to do on prophecy. I'm going to punt okay, for a couple weeks on prophecy. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul deals with prophecy extensively. All right, So we're going to punt that one out a couple weeks, and we're going to cover prophecy. We're just not going to do it today. So you need to come back. Okay. He goes on. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's discernment. We're going to look at that one today. And to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So here's what I'm going to do with the gift of tongues. I'm going to punt that one as well. All right, a couple weeks out. And you may say, Pastor Justin, are you trying to avoid dealing with the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? But don't worry. Okay, don't worry. We're going to deal with them. We're just going to deal with them in a couple weeks. Got lots of study to do. Alright? So we're not going to skip over it. We're just not going to deal with it today. Hopefully Jesus will come back before then. Alright? So, Paul concludes. He concludes in verse 11 by saying, 
All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So, as a Christian, you are gifted by the Spirit of God. Every one of us who love Jesus Christ were gifted by the Spirit. And so we're going to look at four gifts today. The gift of faith, healing, miracles, and the gift of discernment. So, Let's just jump right in. Okay, let's talk about the gift of faith first. As, and as we talk about these gifts, church, I want you to ask yourself, is this me? Like, you know, I want you to find how you're gifted. How has God gifted you? Is this me? Um, do I have this gift? So the gift of faith. The gift of faith is the belief that it can happen. That's the gift of faith. Faith is the belief God can accomplish something even though it seems impossible to most people. A lot of people, you know, we'll look at circumstances and marriages and problems in the church. We'll look at relationships and we'll say, it's over. It's over. Like that problem could never be fixed. That marriage is toast. That marriage is over. That church will never recover. And someone with the gift of faith says, now wait a minute, wait a minute. God could totally fix that marriage. Wait a minute. Remember who we serve? We serve God. He's capable of the impossible. That marriage isn't over. That church can come back to life. That's someone with the gift of faith. People with the gift of faith, they trust God and they don't seem to ever lose hope. They always have hope that God will come through somehow, some way. No matter how bad the situation looks, they're the ones saying, God's going to show up. Like just, man, don't quit. God's going to show up somehow, some way. He's going to come through. He's done it over and over and over again. Hang in there. Hang in there. God's going to come through. Somehow, some way, He's going to work this out for good. People with the gift of faith, they believe God is big, which He is. Okay? And with God, everything is possible. So people with the gift of faith, they don't give up. They dream big dreams. They pray big prayers. And they're not afraid to attempt big things for God. They believe the sky is the limit. They're hopeful. They're optimistic. And they're always looking to take more ground for the kingdom. People with the gift of faith, man, they are a great encouragement to those of us who are struggling, those of us that are maybe doubting God, those of us that are maybe are going through a faith crisis. Man, people with the gift of faith, they can come alongside you and you can kind of just, man, if you're doubting, you're struggling, you can just plug into them for a little bit and they can help get you through because, man, they just, they don't lose hope. Now, a weakness of someone with the gift of faith is they usually have big dreams, they have big visions, but they don't have any plans, okay? They're dreaming big. Man, they have big ideas, but they need someone with the gift of administration to come alongside them and say, hey, let me help you, all right, with your big dreams. They need someone to help them organize, someone to help them plan to see those big dreams and those big visions come to reality. People with the gift of faith, they they tend to get bored really quickly. If you're not seeing God do big things, you want to move on. 
you have to be careful with the gift of faith because you can begin to chase after signs and wonders. Those of you with the gift of faith, you really struggle with people who lack faith. It drives you crazy when someone doubts God or someone questions God. Because you're like, come on, man. Like, He said He loves you, so He loves you. What's the big deal? He said He forgives you, so you're forgiven. Like, why are you doubting? So how do we tie this back to Jesus? Remember, we're tying everything back to Christ. Otherwise, we're going to get into big trouble. Jesus' whole life could be summarized by faith. He died in faith. He died believing. He died trusting. Do you remember what Jesus said when He was hanging on the cross? He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. That is faith. He died trusting. He died believing. His body was put into the grave but he died knowing he would rise again. And you know what? As Christians, we too can face death with that same faith. As Christians, we have hope. As Christians, we trust Jesus knowing that death is not the end. And that's a great time to say amen, church. Okay, Wake up. Come on, hang with me. Death is not the end. Okay? We can die knowing that we too are going to rise again. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you lost a loved one to death? Man, the greatest powerful memory I have of just a time when I was like, Dad, you are a faith giant, man was when his dad died. And we were at the graveside. And I was little. I was holding his hand. And everybody had left. And he and I walked back to the grave. And he just pointed at the casket. Because my granddaddy, he loved Jesus. And he pointed at the casket and he said, Death, you haven't won. He said, Dad... I'm going to see you again. And I'm just holding my dad's hand going, I got your back, Dad. If death does something here, man, I'll, I'll kick him in the shins or something, man. I'll do something. But that's the hope we have as Christians. Man, we, we go through hard things just like non-Christians do, okay? There's, just because you love Jesus doesn't mean we get delivered out of this earth right away. We have to go through hard things too, but, but we go through hard things with hope. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. You know, the Scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. As a matter of fact, it takes faith to even begin a relationship with God. So to... To some extent, all of us have to practice faith, but only some of us are gifted with an abundance of faith. You know, uh, another example to look to in Scripture would be Paul or Mary. One of the examples I want us to talk about just for a moment is, it's one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite examples in all of Scripture. It's the story of Stephen. 
My son Cody, it's his middle name, Stephen. Stephen was, was standing up for the truth of God, and, and he, like Jesus, was put to death. You can read about this in the book of Acts. Religious people, they didn't want Stephen to, to ruin their money-making business because that's what religion is without Jesus Christ. It's just another business. But they wanted to shut Stephen up. And you know what? They said the best way to shut him up is to kill him. So the Scripture says that Stephen was stoned to death. And since we live in Colorado, I have to remind us that wasn't death by reefer, okay? It was death by rocks hitting him in the head. Let's just make sure that's clear. Now this is amazing. As Stephen was being stoned to death, okay, now picture this, man. He's being hit with rocks. He looks up into heaven, and the Scripture says God gave him a vision, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. It's the only time in Scripture when we see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Every other reference, it speaks of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Now this isn't gospel truth, but I just have to go here. I believe Jesus, this is, this is just my opinion, okay? But I believe Jesus was ready in that moment. He couldn't take it anymore. I believe He was ready in that moment to come and rescue Stephen. He was ready to come with a sword. He was so impressed with the faith that, that Stephen displayed, he couldn't stay seated anymore. He couldn't stay seated. He had to stand up. And God the Father had to say, Not yet, son. Not yet. I want more to be saved. I want more to know my love and my kindness. I want more to be my children. Not yet, son. Not yet. But soon. The scripture says Jesus is coming again. And this time He's not coming like a lamb to be slaughtered. He's coming as a king with a sword to open up a can. Okay? That's how He's coming back. And guess who was there at the death of Stephen? The Apostle Paul. Paul was actually the one that ordered the death of Stephen. The author of the book that we're studying was the one who said, kill him. I give you the order to kill him. Isn't that crazy? He watched Stephen die and I have to believe that Paul was affected by seeing a man with so much faith. How could a man die in such a way that he's not throwing rocks back, that he's not screaming out and crying? And the Scripture says that Stephen actually fell asleep. A couple chapters after the story of Stephen, we see Paul become a Christian. You know, God forgives the worst of sinners. It doesn't matter what you've done. He can forgive you. So, so where do you fit if you have the gift of faith? Man, you could be a counselor because you don't give up on people. All right, You just, you just keep fighting on their behalf. You, you don't get discouraged over a few addictions. You don't get discouraged over a few marriage problems. You have faith 
knowing that God restores brokenness. You could be a church planter, someone that starts churches because you dream big and it takes incredible faith to build something where there is nothing. You know, with the gift of faith, you could be a great prayer warrior. Man, you're just praying for people who are going through a faith crisis or you're praying for people who are in rebellion or, man, you're just, you're praying on, you're interceding on their behalf. The second gift that we're going to deal with today is the gift of healing. Now, the gift of healing is the ability to call upon God to heal the sick through prayer. So, I know, I know even saying the gift of healing, it freaks some of us out, okay? I know this. It freaks us out because this gift has been widely misused and widely abused. Now, please know that God is the one who always does the healing. Always. This gift means that you pray for someone and they are healed by God. God always does the healing. Always. So we don't have the power to heal. I'm just trying to remind us. We don't have the power to heal. I mean, seriously, in Matthew chapter 6, we're told that we can't even add one inch to our height. Okay? So we can't heal people. We don't have that power. We don't heal people. God heals. We get the blessing of interceding in prayer on their behalf. So many of us, man, we're skeptical of this gift. But so many people have been healed by God. So much so that it baffles doctors. They've actually come up with a medical term called spontaneous remission. It basically means, I don't know what just happened. Okay? I saw the tumor, and now I don't see it. Spontaneous remission. God, church, God still heals. Now remember, we're against both extreme views. The view that God can't heal anymore, and the view that God must heal on demand. I want to remind us of that. People, TV evangelists, they have greatly abused this gift. They've taken advantage of people. But it doesn't mean, you know, just because someone's taken advantage of a gift doesn't mean that God can't heal. I mean, many many people have abused the Bible, but it doesn't mean the Bible's bad. So those with the gift of healing, they trust and believe that God can heal the sick. They pray in faith for the physical restoration of the sick. And remember, the point of healing is to reveal Jesus Christ, to show that He is the great physician. And He can not only heal the mind, He can not only heal the body, but most importantly, He can heal the soul. So, can someone, let me ask you this, can someone with the gift of healing, can they heal someone every time they ask? No. Okay, because healing is what God decides to do. Someone with the gift of healing. They can't go around healing everyone. They just can't. Furthermore, in Scripture, you don't see people being healed in a church service. Jesus had the gift of healing, and when He healed people, He was on the street corner. He was in their home. The only time where we see there was a large group of people was when they lowered the man down through the roof, you know, And Jesus said, get up and walk. 
Matthew 9.35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus had the gift of healing. Other people that had this gift for your further study are Peter, Paul, James. In James chapter 5, it says that this ministry, all right, healing is, is, is a ministry of pastors and elders in the church. Look at James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. What, what saves the sick? What heals the sick? The prayer of faith. It's not a person. God always does the healing. So the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. At, at Grace Church, this is always done in private. You're like, do we do this at this church? Yeah, we do. We pray for people that say, Pastor, can you get the elders together? I'm, I, something's going on in my body. I'm sick. I don't know. I just need you to pray over me and ask God for, to heal me. And we always do this in private. We'll pray over people, anointing them with oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The oil doesn't do any healing. But we always do it after everyone leaves. In church, let me, let me say... You can say, that guy's either telling the truth or he's lying. But we have seen people healed because of faithful prayers. But it should never lead to pride or self-glorification. Once again, the abuse of this gift is disgusting. Religious leaders faking healings, charging people, financially to be healed, doing it in front of masses of people to make themselves famous. That's not God. That's straight from the pits of hell. Every time Jesus healed someone, what did He say in the Scripture? He would say, hey, don't go tell anyone. They would usually run and tell everybody. But what did Jesus say? Don't go tell people. Don't go bragging once again, we believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He can still heal if He so chooses. And oftentimes, He does it through the prayers of faithful men and women of God. Some people will go to the extreme. Let me just share an extreme with you. Some people will go to the extreme and they'll say, as Christians, we don't need doctors. We don't need medical insurance because God is the great physician. You don't need to take medicine. You should have more faith. And we say that is nonsense. Okay? That's hogwash. That's, that's crazy. People who believe crazy stuff like that will they'll point you to the book of Acts where we see lots of healings and examples of healings in the Scripture. And they'll say, look, you don't need a doctor. You don't need a doctor. You need the Holy Ghost. Now, now, here's the crazy thing. Who was the author of the book of Acts? Luke. Luke was a doctor. Okay, I hate to point out the obvious, but I, 
You know, to read a book that's written by a doctor and then to say that you don't need a doctor? That's crazy. Luke, he often traveled with Paul, many times doing medical ministry. So here's, so here's what I would say, church. Go to your doctor and pray to the great physician. I think that's a great idea. So do both, okay? So go to a doctor and don't be so silly as to think that you don't need a doctor. Some people will say, you shouldn't be sick if you have the Holy Spirit. It's not true. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples. In Philippians chapter 2, Epaphroditus, he was sick, loved the Lord. Timothy was sick often, but he was greatly used of God. Paul, our author, 1 Corinthians, he was often sick. And if Paul doesn't have enough faith, we're all doomed. Okay? He wrote half the New Testament. But the fact remains... God still heals. He does. So, you're like, man, how do you know if God has gifted you in this way? Let me ask you, do you have a deep compassion for people who are sick? You know, when you hear of someone's sickness or they've been diagnosed with cancer or some horrible disease, your heart is just broken for that individual. Do you love to just pray for those who are sick? Like for some reason, God has just burdened your heart for people who are not healthy. With this gift, man, you could be a great prayer warrior. You could start a ministry to the sick. People with this gift, they're often drawn to hospitals. There's some people, man, they don't want to step foot in a hospital. There's some people, they're drawn to the hospital. They're drawn to those who are suffering. Let me ask you, have have you seen God heal someone? Oftentimes, you will never know who truly has this gift because they're quiet, they're humble, and they give all the glory to God, knowing who it is that truly heals. So, the gift of healing exists today, but listen, I have to finish with this one, on this gift. The gift of healing exists today But not everyone who says they have the gift of healing truly does. Okay, let's not be so naive. Thirdly, we're going to deal with the gift of miracles. The gift of miracles is the ability to call upon God to do supernatural acts, to reveal His power. Once again, God can do whatever He wants. So people with the gift of miracles... Man, they see God working in the little things, in in everyday events, and at times, major displays of His power. So, examples in the Bible would be demons being cast out of people, nature obeying God's authority, and even seeing the dead raised. Now, this gift is very similar to the gift of healing because it's widely misused, And it's widely abused. What happens is, is people begin chasing after signs and wonders instead of chasing after Jesus Christ. So look at what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 4. This is Jesus talking. He said, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand 
a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Some people, they want power, not Jesus. They want miracles, not Jesus. So we don't chase after signs and wonders. We chase after Jesus. We don't, we don't go to crazy healing crusades. Okay? We don't go to the snake handling church, and we don't go to the guy who will heal you for $29.95. We don't do that. We don't chase after that. We chase after Jesus. We don't chase after signs and wonders. We, we believe the gift of miracles exists because God can do whatever He wants. God can do whatever He wants, when He wants, through whomever He wants to advance His kingdom. Throughout Scripture, anytime you see a miracle, it was always done to accomplish a specific purpose. You don't see miracles being randomly done just because. Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus walked on water. Jesus fed thousands of people with a little little Hebrew boy with his Lunchable, right? He, He fed thousands of people. Jesus did all kinds of miracles. Jesus had the gift of miracles. Can you see a pattern here? Jesus had every gift because He was God. He is God. Others had the gift as well. Remember through Moses, God parted the Red Sea. God sent fire from heaven through the prayers of Elijah to consume an altar and to prove God's power and His might. We're told in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, that Stephen did many miracles. And in Acts 19, Paul did miracles. Now the danger is, when people begin to think, sounds cool, man. I want to heal people. I want to do mighty miracles. I mean, the first problem is using the word I. Okay, people want to do these things so bad It drives them and everyone around them crazy. We're supposed to pursue Jesus, not signs and wonders. Check this out. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, No one is greater than who? No one is greater than John the baptizer. And in John 10, verse 41, the Scripture tells us that John the baptizer never performed a miracle. And Jesus said He was the greatest of them all. Pursue Jesus, church, not miracles. Some people might say, man, I would believe in Jesus if I could see a miracle. And that's not true either. There were many people who saw Jesus heal. They saw Jesus feed thousands of people with a Lunchable. Saw Jesus turn water into wine. Saw Jesus resurrect from the dead the greatest miracle of all, and yet they still didn't follow Him. God is capable. He's still capable of performing great, mighty acts. Great and mighty miracles. But let me give you a warning by reading Matthew 7, verses 22 through 23. It's a warning to those who abuse the gifts that God intends for the building up, the edification of His church. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Jesus said, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I, Jesus, will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And the greatest thing I could tell you as your pastor is to chase after Jesus, not healings and miracles. And lastly, are you still with me? You doing okay? Lastly, let's talk about the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is the ability to see through evil intentions. You can quickly tell which team is at play, good or evil. It's listening, you know, to that preacher. It's going to that event where it appears to be spirit-filled. And people are like, wow, that was amazing. And you're like, ah, ah, no, it wasn't amazing. I I don't think that was God. You, You have to remember, Satan can do mighty things as well. Satan performs signs and wonders to deceive Christians. Matthew 24, 24 says, For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. I know. I know some of you are like, this is ridiculous, man. Like Healings, miracles. Like you're starting to talk fairy tales. This is, this is so stupid. Like Satan and demons. Like Satan doesn't exist. Come on, man. Like we're in the 21st century. Like let's grow up. Like demons don't exist. Listen, I just, here's my logic, okay? Hopefully it encourages you. I believe in the existence and power of an evil being. Not just because it's in the Bible and not just because Jesus believed it. But for the life of me, apart from the presence of an evil being, I can't understand why people do what they do to one another. Would someone please explain to me, apart from the power of an evil one, how any adult could harm a child? What would make a rational human being ever, ever harm a child? Can can someone please explain to me child porn apart from the presence of evil? Can someone explain sex trafficking? The gathering up of little boys and girls, putting them in a boxcar, shipping them across the border and giving them to evil men for ten bucks a head? Can anyone explain this rationally to me apart from the existence of an evil being? Please tell me, apart from the existence of an evil being, who put the idea in Hitler's head to gas six million Jews? Who whispered in the ears of the soldiers and told them it was okay to go along with this plan? Have you, have you ever seen one of those concentration camps? I mean, it looks like a manufacturing plant or an automotive facility. I mean, there's docks, there's, there's train tracks, 
There's shower buildings where gas came out of the nozzles instead of water. Incinerators that were incredibly designed to reduce bodies to ash. And then there was the loading docks that would be used to take the ashes away. Church, people sat around tables. They drew blueprints. There was, a, there was a strategy. Buildings and infrastructure and pipes and electricity and gas. All designed for the purpose of killing six million men, women, and children. Please, someone, explain this to me apart from the presence and power of an evil being. Who is it that whispers in our ears? Tell that lie. Hate other races. How about this one? Hate homosexuals. Hate them. Their sin is no different than yours, but hate them. Who manufactures all these lies? It's not a fairy tale, church. Evil does exist. Satan and his demons do exist. Now, someone with the gift of discernment, man, they have a great desire to protect. They're protectors. They're not easily deceived. They're always, man, they're always proving with the Word of God and with the Spirit of God. Jesus had the gift of discernment. He he was always a step ahead of Satan. And Jesus saw right through his evil intentions. Remember Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And that's what Satan wants to do to your marriage and to your family and to this church. He wants to turn us to dust. But Jesus said, I'll pray for you. I'm going to fight on your behalf. And the evil side has many spirits lying and leading people to destruction. And the one with discernment knows the Spirit of God and can pick a counterfeit spirit quickly. An example in the Scripture would be Esther. Man, she had great discernment. She knew Satan wanted to destroy her people, and through great courage, discernment, and the power of God, she was able to save an entire nation. You know, often a weakness of someone with the gift of discernment is sometimes you can be judgmental, right? Or you can be viewed as being judgmental. Sometimes people view you as a jerk because you're always kind of looking into their soul, right? And let me just say, if you think you have the gift of discernment, you better, had know, you better know your Bible if you're going to use this gift. So where do you fit quickly with the gift of discernment? Let me just ask you, do you feel the responsibility to protect the truth of God? To protect God's Word? To protect this church? Someone with the gift of discernment can really help to protect the church from false teachers, from evildoers, from unrepentant sinners, and from people that are using the gifts in the wrong way. Someone with the gift of discernment, man, you help us to guard the gates. Church, let me just close by saying, it really is all about Jesus. Okay? I'm giving you the best that I know how. I'm studying. This is where God has led me. This is what He has revealed to me. 
But I just have to say it's all about Christ. Don't, don't pursue craziness. Pursue Jesus. Okay? And these gifts are given to make us stronger as a church so that we can serve our city better. Remember, we're for Durango. We're not against it. And it's so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Listen, that's why I entitled this series Worship. I believe the greatest way we can worship God as a church is for everyone to know their gift and for everyone to be using their giftedness to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. So, man, let's not just play church. Let's be the church, okay? Let's be the church so that people can know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Church, we are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ, and when we use our gifts from the Spirit, the community is going to see Jesus. That's how it works. So, I want to close by saying and encouraging you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you how He's gifted you. Man, say, Holy Spirit, I know You've gifted me. Please reveal it to me. Show me. Sometimes the best way to find your gift is just with trial and error. Just start getting involved. Start serving. And God will reveal it to you. Holy Spirit, show us how You've gifted us. And then when He shows you, my encouragement is to follow Him. Okay? Follow Him. I'm going to invite the band to come on up this morning. And uh, we're going to close with a song of worship to the Lord. And uh, as they're making their way up, I'm just going to close in prayer. Okay, Father God, I pray for my friends. I pray, Holy Spirit, humbly. Humbly, I ask, Holy Spirit, I can't tell you to do anything. I ask that you would save those today who are far from you. I ask that you would work a miracle in them. You would give them a love for Jesus and a hatred for sin. Holy Spirit, as well, I ask that you would show each of us our ministry here at Grace Church. And I pray you would empower us to do that ministry well. Holy Spirit, thank you for the gifts that you give us so we can serve like Jesus served. And I pray our church would continue to be more and more like Jesus. I pray our church would be filled with more and more people who are like Jesus. And God, I pray that you would be glorified and no one else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.